uh, what I intend to do this evening is to uh, uh, open up the passage in uh, Micah chapter 5 concerning the uh, prophecy about uh, Bethlehem and the uh, shepherd king uh, that is uh, uh, promised there and to see some of the things that uh, the, the shepherd king is promised to do and uh, does for us. Before we look at that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, as we open your word, we ask that you would open our minds and hearts. Uh, you have instructed us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and we ask that your word might do that tonight. Instruct us, transform our minds and our thoughts, help us, even as some of the hymns that we have sung tonight, which express the wonder and the glory uh, of the advent of Christ, help us to be filled and impressed with wonder and glory at this amazing thing that you caused to happen. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So I would like to read two passages consecutively. I would like to read Micah 5, 1 through 6, and then we'll go over to Matthew chapter 2, and then we'll come back to Micah for the rest. I will have some words of explanation of Matthew chapter 2, uh, because it has a bearing on our study uh, in Micah. Uh, Micah 5, verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land to tread in our borders. And you may uh, keep a finger there or mark there, but we'll turn to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 2. And we'll read the first six verses of Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, there's several things I want to notice uh, about the passage in Matthew before we move over to 
uh, Micah, and notice that this is after Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, and the word has gone out. But the wise men come, and they say some important things. The, the first thing they say is they're looking for someone who's born the king uh, of the Jews. They saw his star, you remember it guided them, and they've come to worship him. You, you don't worship a, a human king, uh, you worship someone who's more uh, than human. It, 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 it exegetes back to uh, uh, Micah when we talk about he comes from eternity or he comes from uh, ancient days. And just like this morning, uh, Ahaz heard of his enemies and he was troubled and they were afraid like, like trees that shake in the wind. Here, Herod and all Jerusalem are troubled. Herod might be thinking another king, a king of the Jews. The, the Jews might be thinking oh, how we, we miss the Messiah. These, these three men come from the east. They seem to know more about what's going on than, than we do. How come they know and we don't? And there's ramifications just in the, the brief things that the wise men said uh, for all the people. And then comes a, a gathering and Herod calls all the chief priests and the and the scribes, uh, and that's verse 4, uh, where is the Christ supposed to be born? They, they know who they're talking about. Where is the Christ supposed to be born? The Messiah. Uh, they know who they're talking about. Herod is concerned because uh, this is the person that's supposed to change things around for the Jewish nation. Where is the Christ supposed to be born? And they and they're, they're asking, could this really be him? And their answer is uh, the place that we're going to talk about. They say clearly, Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written in the prophet. Uh, and they uh, give the prophecy. It's, it's different than what Micah has for some reasons. We, we've seen that in our study of the minor prophets. Some of the words are slightly different. Their emphasis is the same. It's somebody who is going to come as a ruler and a shepherd, and he's going to shepherd uh, Israel. Uh, a Messiah, ruler, and king is coming. A Messiah, ruler, and shepherd is coming, and, and he's coming from uh, the town of Bethlehem. That's where he will originate from. And it's interesting in Matthew who is always bringing up, uh, this was written, this was fulfilled, this was written, this was fulfilled. Here, it's the Jews themselves. Matthew isn't citing uh, a prophet. The, the Jews are citing a prophet themselves. They know. And uh, our study in the minor prophets, we've seen that too. The, the people had some idea of what God was going to do in their day. They had some idea. Uh, remember when the, the term son of David was used. And, and literally, people cried out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. They knew and they expected a, a son of David. They knew and they expected uh, a Messiah. It's interesting that this question is posed to Jesus and plagues him from the time he begins his ministry to the end. He's asked the question, are you the Christ? Tell us. But he's also taunted on the cross when they say, if you're the Christ, then you come down. Save, save us and save yourself, if you're really who you say you are. So this question uh, uh, plagues him. And now the remainder of our time, we'll go back to the prophecy of Micah. 
and uh, we'll cover it under uh, uh, six heads. The, the six is a large number, but the heads are not that large. We'll, we'll look at, first of all, the, the context of the prophecy uh, is judgment. Uh, secondly, we'll look at the town. Thirdly, we'll look at the woman. Uh, fourthly, we'll look at the person, the shepherd, the ruler, the servant. Uh, fifthly, we'll look at the people. And then uh, finally, we'll just have some observations and applications. So notice, first of all, the, the context of judgment and battle. Micah 5.1 uh, begins with, stir up the troops, get the troops ready. And, and Micah 5 verse 5 uh, talks about the Assyrians uh, coming to battle. And in between, in between is this clearly messianic prophecy uh, that talks uh, about uh, Jesus Christ. There's a siege, there's close contact. You'll notice it says they actually uh, slap the king on the face. That's pretty close when you can uh, slap the, the, the king on the face. Micah and the other prophets we saw make these quick transitions. Uh, Micah and the other uh, prophets couch these profound prophecies and, and uh, just like in Hosea, when we saw out of Egypt, I called my son. You're like, how did, where does that, what does that say? And, and this is the same thing. This prophecy in some sense uh, uh, leaps off the page. And we ask, well, what is this all about? And so that's, that's how the prophecy is. It's, it's couched or it's bracketed by this trouble and this warfare and, and, and all this conflict. Uh, but then it mentions uh, a town. And so secondly, the town. It, it, it's a surprising turn. It's a surprising place. And the town has a surprising history. Its name uh, is used as early as Genesis uh, 35 and verse 16. Rachel is with child. And they are going to try to go to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. That's the... Uh, that's the uh, format in a couple of places in Genesis. It's Ephrath, parentheses, that is Bethlehem. Uh, it means house of bread, and it, it's an old town uh, of some note. It has historical significance because it's the town of the origination of the line of David. Ruth 1.1 says there was a guy, Elimelech, who lived in Bethlehem. And there was a famine, and he took his family and, and, and went away. And uh, Naomi, you understand, uh, uh, had Ruth and the other woman, whose name I forget at this time. And then they come back. And Ruth is taken by uh, Boaz to, to be uh, Boaz's wife. And then at Ruth 4, 16 through 22, it just goes right through. Boaz and Ruth had this child, had that child, had this child, and had Jesse, and Jesse had uh, uh, David. Uh, David was born there, and David was li lived there, but also Bethlehem is noteworthy because there was a call of a king uh, in that place. 1 Samuel 16, 1, God tells Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. And he goes, and, and everybody, gets, everybody gets all shook up. Samuel comes to the town, and they say, are you here for good or for trouble? And he says, no, good. And he says, gather together because we're going to eat together. 
and I'm going to choose one of your sons. And they start going through. I believe they go through three sons, and then it, he keeps saying, that's not the one, that's not the one. And it's interesting because David isn't even there. You would think he would get everybody there, right? Samuel's coming. Why are you out in the sheep? Well, that was his job. He was the youngest. He had the least thing. But this is Bethlehem, and this is David, and this is Christ. Can you, can you imagine the eternal God is born in, in some kind of a manger, some kind of a stable, some kind of a room that you would keep uh, livestock in, and the king is not even there when the, the man who comes to anoint him uh, comes. And they say, well, where's somebody else? God keeps telling me he's not the one. He's not the one. I'm running out of people. Oh, well, they're still the youngest. Go get them. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and, and out of this, we have a ruler. We have a king. We have David's kingship and God's covenant with him. And the covenant is important because God's covenant with David is an eternal covenant. He says, you're always going to have a king. And Christ is the always king that's going to come along. Bethlehem is important because of the same thing. Jesus is born there and he is the king and he is the ruler and he is the answer to all these prophecies. So Bethlehem has a name, a historical significance. There's a call of the king there, but it also is noted there for its size. And it says it's too little to be among the clans or it's little among the thousands. And an interesting fact was, was in one of the commentaries in Joshua chapter 15, uh, 20 through 63, uh, Joshua mentions 115 towns and cities and their villages and doesn't mention Bethlehem at all. Wow. So Joshua says, we've come into the land and here's all our towns, here's our cities and their villages, but Bethlehem isn't mentioned. It reminds me of when I'm on Route 1 and I see a sign, Sharps. And I say, what in the world is Sharps? Where is Sharps? And then you're, you're, on, you're on there a little further or maybe before Sharps, and you see a sign that says Dallas Pine. And you're like, where is Dallas Pine? What is it? And you say, well, technically, the Dallas Pine is a part of this or part of that. Well, well that's what Bethlehem was. Who, who knew about Bethlehem? Who knows what Sharps is? Who knows what Dallas Pine is? But, but that's what it was. It wasn't even mentioned in a list of 115 places. Its distinction, though, is that David and the shepherd Messiah are born in Bethlehem, and they both fulfill God's eternal plans for his people. It's just a little place, but it's an important place. So thirdly, uh, the woman. And we'll look at the tragedy the travail and the timing. The tragedy is in verse 3, God says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she's come. And Isaiah chapter 10, 20 to 23 says, now in that day, the remnant of Israel and those of the house of Jacob who have escaped will never again rely on the one who struck them, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. You remember this is a direct reference to Ahaz. Who did he rely on? He went and paid the Tiglath-Pileser money to protect him, and Tiglath-Pileser was the one that came and, and took the whole place. A remnant will return. 
the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant within them will return. A destruction is determined, overflowing with righteousness, for a complete destruction, one that is decreed, the Lord of hosts will execute in the midst of the whole land. So God's going to give them up. He's going to give them up and abandon them to, to exile, to be destroyed two times, and, and then bring them back in, in pieces, not like the nation was before. So that is the tragedy. And, and then comes the travail. Uh, this woman is going to give birth. That doesn't happen without travail. Notice Micah 4.10. Uh, Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. You'll be taken away. Uh, this will be a painful experience. It'll be, like, it'll be like childbirth. It'll be this terrible, painful experience. So there's the, the tragedy and the travail. And now the, the timing. Because it, it says that once this is over, then... She who is in labor is going to give birth, and that's, and that's going to start everything. Then the rest of his brothers will return, it says. But there's timing. It's God's movement in all history that children are born at a certain time. We, we know that from any study in the Old Testament. Abraham has Isaac. Uh, Samuel is born. Uh, birth is timely, but... But Luke tells, her, tells us about the time came for her to give birth. Uh, the days were completed. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent his only begotten son in the perfect time in history to, to be born of this woman. So the tragedy is he's going to give the people up. The tra travail is that it, it happens through this birth, uh, but the timing uh, is, is perfect. Uh, God had the right person. It got them to the right place at the right time, and the right results came. You say, well, she was pregnant already, the, the, those results. But, but think about that. In, in the larger scale, the promise to Eve is accomplished, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The seed is, is just born. The, the victory over Satan, the crushing of his head, is, is just starting by this birth. Eve had a child after Cain and Abel, and she says, God has answered it. God has done what he said he would do. She thought the next child that came out of her womb would, would be the one, that it wasn't. But the promise to Eve is accomplished. The promise to Israel is accomplished. The gospel promise to all the world is accomplished. Yes. In an unlikely town, in an unlikely place, and under unlikely circumstances, why would you take a journey when you're more than eight months pregnant or eight and a half months pregnant? Now, it, it's not in the it's not in the text. The, the the text just says that Mary was pregnant or with child, uh, but the King James says she was great with child. Maybe they didn't have a word uh, for pregnant or something. But you've seen women like that, haven't you? You you wonder to yourself. How is this woman walking around? Because, because she's great with child. Well, in, in God's timing, that's what happened. 
somehow through all the ride on, on a donkey or walking all the miles to get to Bethlehem, all the time it took them to find a place to stay, even though there was no room, the child was born at the perfect time that God wanted the child to be born. And then we come to the person. The person is the ruler or the shepherd. And uh, his origin, we must underscore, is from Bethlehem. Uh, the time came, the time was accomplished, and she brought forth her firstborn son. He was born in Bethlehem. The, the, the prophecy is answered. The prophecy is anticipated by the council in Matthew that told Herod he's coming from Bethlehem. It, it, it's, it's fulfilled. Notice, secondly, not only his origin, but it's God's own choice. He will go forth for me. Uh, this is God's servant. Uh, this is one that God sent. This is one that God has put his uh, uh, power on, his spirit on. This is one that God has chosen. And, and notice, it's just like 1 Samuel 16:1, because God told Samuel, I have selected or chosen a king for myself. David is going to be the king that I use. David is the king that I'm choosing to be the next king. And God says in this passage, he will go forth for me. Jesus Christ is the king, the shepherd that God chooses. Amen. It's God's choice, God's purpose, and, and God's plan. John Trapp says that we may know that the coming of Christ in the flesh was a plot of God's own contriving. It's interesting that he uses the word plot uh, for God. We usually think a, a plot is, is a bad plot. But what, when God plots something and contrives it, he, he makes it up, it's going to pass. And Trapp understands it and underscores it. He says, he didn't come by chance, but by counsel. Him has God the Father sealed, anointed, and appointed to the work. And Jesus knew it. He says, because the Father has set his seal on him. In John chapter 6, verse 27. They came and they said, well, well who are you? Who are you that we should believe? Jesus had just told them, you, you, you're seeking me because you ate the loaves, not because you, you believe. Sealed, anointed, and appointed to the work. And, 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 in this, and in the Old English, Trapp says something important. He says, this is comfortable to consider of. You see, he says, this is a comfortable thing to think about. That God planned the whole thing. That it all worked out according to God's plan. So the origin, he came from Bethlehem. He's, he's God's own choice. Now, if you have a New King James or a, a New American Standard, uh, they capitalize uh, the word one or he in verse two and then at verse, in verse five. In verse five, they would say uh, uh, he, he or the one capitalized will be their peace. That is uh, because they're, um, they're understanding that the one who comes is, is coming from eternity. He's, he's, he's God incarnate. It's God's choice and God's purpose. And then God says he'll uh, go forth or uh, come forth. There's another translation difference. One, 
one translation says he'll come forth, and the other one says he'll go forth. It's basically the, the, the same thing. He is, he is going to uh, go out, and he's going to be a ruler in Israel. You understand, remember from Matthew, that the wise men says, we've come to see the king of the Jews. They understood what his role was supposed to be. And then there's a time frame there that, that speaks to when he came out or when he went out. Uh, the English standard says uh, from of old, from ancient days, and it, it, it puts you as far back in time uh, as you can think of. But the New King James and the New American Standard uh, talk about from everlasting or from days of eternity. And the word that's used uh, is used in Habakkuk 1 when Habakkuk says to God, are you not from everlasting? Are you not from ancient days? Are you not from so far uh, ago? And you wouldn't, you wouldn't talk to God that way and not anticipate that he's eternal. You wouldn't say, well, you, you just came from back there in history. No, you wouldn't say that to God because you know he's eternal. Are you not from everlasting? Yes, God is from everlasting. The text and the wise men who came to worship would, would suggest to us that yes, this is an eternal uh, king, an eternal shepherd uh, appointed by God. Uh, it brings a, a double nuance because it stresses the historical link with King David. How long before this prophecy did David uh, come? It's, it's hundreds of years. So it looks back to that at least, and then uh, could look back to eternity. It's a historic link with King David many centuries before, but it also strongly suggests even older lineage. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms, the, the eternal. He's from ancient days. He's from eternity. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And, and we know uh, that in Proverbs 8, 22 and 23, uh, Jesus says, God and him were together from before the foundation of the world. And John 1, 1 reminds us uh, that, that the word was there at creation. So that is the coming forth. That is the, the timing. That is who this person is. And then verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock. He has a flock already. He has a people for himself. He is a ruler and a shepherd. He's called a king, and Jesus accepts the term, doesn't he? Uh, when, when speaking at different times, you remember he had that discussion with Pilate. Well, are you a king? Tell me. He says, well, yeah, basically, yeah, you say that I am. But he also says, well, uh, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my servants would fight. Oh, so then you are a king. And, and sarcastically and cruelly, uh, the king is put on the cross too, right? This is the king of the Jews. The Jews say, don't put that. Don't put that he's the king of the Jews. Put that he said that he was. Because we don't believe that he was. But he really was. So they asked him, are you the Christ? And then taunted him, if you're the Christ, come down. They asked him, are you a king? But they taunted him and said, if you're a king, uh, do the same thing. 
but Jesus also uh, proclaims himself to be a shepherd. And, and that was declared by him and demonstrated by him. And he tells us the many ways that, that he was a shepherd, doesn't he? But then we see that God assists the shepherd king. And he says, he says in verse 4, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He doesn't come on his own. He doesn't come of his own uh, will. He doesn't come by himself. It's interesting because uh, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus knows this, doesn't he? What words does he speak? I speak what the Father tells me to speak. What actions does he perform? I do all that the Father tells me to do. He comes forth in the strength of the Lord, in the strength of Yahweh, the most powerful name that you can come forth in. Thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord. You, you can't have a higher name. You can't get strength from any other place. When David was anointed, it says the Spirit rushed upon him uh, uh, as soon as he was anointed. And we know that Christ had the Spirit uh, overwhelmingly. John says, I, I baptize you with water, but, but he'll come and baptize you with it. The Spirit, he actually has the Spirit and can dispense its power. And Christ had the ability to dispense his power because God was with him and God helped him. He's the dispenser of the Holy Spirit. He sat there in that room and told the disciples everything that the Holy Spirit was going to do. And he said, at a certain time, when I leave, he'll come and I'll make sure. And he'll always be there. Then we see that his ministry is regally and royally carried out as a king and the ruler. It says he will do it in the majesty of the name of the Lord God. He'll do it in the name of Yahweh, his God, his Elohim. He, he comes as a king ruler in the majesty of God. And people notice that as well. How many times did they say nobody ever spoke like this? How many times did they, they, they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? How many times did they use language that, that, that let you know that they knew there was something special about him? And then it says, under the shepherd king, uh, there is safety. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now. They'll dwell secure. He tells us about his shepherding ministry. He says, I'm not a thief. I'm not a hireling. When things get in trouble, when things trouble, when trouble starts, hirelings, they take off. I don't do that. I stay there. What does he say? I lay down my life for the sheep. No, but nobody took it from me. Nobody came and said, look, you're coming with us. You, you give, no, he says, I voluntarily laid down my life for the sheep. And when one of them is lost and when, when, when one is gone, he leaves the 99 and, go, and goes after. That's the picture of our shepherd. That's the power of our shepherd. That's how come I can dwell secure because what he says is, I'll give them life and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Do you realize that the shepherd king is protecting your soul right now? Do you realize that you are protected and kept in the faith by the Lord Jesus Christ right now? 
I can do that with Trenton and Edison, right? We play and wrestle and I can grab their clothes and they can't get away. And I tease with Edison because he has to say, stop it, Papa, right? They, they can't get away. Do you see the picture? You cannot get away from the protection of the shepherd king, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how much stronger I am than Edison. That's how much stronger God is than you. And Jesus underscores it and he says, the father protects you too. And no one is able to snatch you out of his hand. He says, if you need comfort that no one will snatch you out of my hand, then think about God because we're both in this together to preserve a, a people uh, together. So they dwell secure. And then another uh, passage that is, uh, uh, that talks about the extent and his power. Uh, it says, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And it fulfills the prophecy in uh, Luke 1.32. The angel comes and says, he will be great and will be called son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. It's all happening as expected. Now we, we fail uh, with our use of the word great. How are you doing today? Great. No, but this is, this is unrivaled greatness. This is, this is greatness that we can't handle in our own language if we just use our basic language. How's your new car? It's great. How's your job? Great. No, unrivaled greatness. He shall be great. And the extent of it is to the ends of the earth. You, you see what pipsqueaks we are. What is my effect? What is my impact on the world? Well, tonight I'm just preaching to a number of saints in, in Titusville. What is my effect on the world? Does anything that I do go to the ends of the earth? No, it doesn't. Does anything you do affect people across the globe? But the scripture is promising us that the ministry of the shepherd king will be great. It will go to the ends of the earth. It will go everywhere. And the proof of it is in, in the end of Matthew, when he tells the disciples, go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. Because you can tell everybody about me and it's going to be sure that it will go to the ends of the earth and people will believe and they'll be baptized and saved or saved and baptized. The ends of the earth are seen in Revelation when Jesus opens the scroll and breaks the seals. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom. That's what the power of the blood of Jesus Christ will do. And then, and then to, to wrap it up, it, it actually says, and he shall be our peace in the, in the versions, uh, in the versions of chapter that use it, uh, uh, the capital, it says the one, that one, the, the God man, the, the God shepherd, that one, uh, will be our peace. Ultimate peace comes from the ministry of the shepherd king. Peace with God and peace with your souls. We go back to that room and Jesus says, peace uh, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. What's peace in the world? 
oh, I got my family, I have a job, I have a house, I got this, I got that, and, you know, things aren't going that wrong, uh, you know. But, but what's, what's the peace that, that Jesus gives? Not as the world. Not as the world. We live in the context of the peace that's been given by the shepherd king, and he provides that peace that passes understanding. Peace is very important. Every letter that Paul wrote and both letters that Peter wrote want grace and peace to be given to the, the people. Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's over and over. Peter says two times, grace and peace be multiplied to you. That peace is one of the, one of the blessings of the, the gospel. Peace is one of the things that, 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 uh, that speaks of the, the absence of turmoil, but it's talking about the turmoil that's here. You remember this morning, the turmoil that was around Ahaz and the people, and they were troubled. It said they shook like trees in the breeze. But what did Isaiah say? God is with us. Well, wait a minute. The enemies are at the door and more are coming. What did he say? God is with us. He said, I'm going to trust God. He said, look at the children that God's provided me. There are signs and wonders in Israel. And, and we just have to look at this. Look at what God's provided for us. The, the Savior. Paul exhorts in, in uh, Philippians 4, he says, don't be anxious, don't be troubled. Start to pray. And what's going to happen? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what to your hearts? Guard or keep, protect. Protect your hearts and minds. What happens when tr in trouble? and the mind gets going and sometimes it's like that it's like that train right well you can't stop it now that my mind is i'm worried about this i'm worried about that but you pray and what happens the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through christ jesus because at the at the bottom of everything that's what the Christian knows. I'm a child of Christ. Christ suffered for me. Christ protects me. Christ keeps me. He shepherds me. He's my ruler. He's my Lord. He's my king. What do I have to fear? In that section, Paul summarizes it, and he says, and the God of peace will be with you. He's not just through Christ, but the God of peace will be with you as well. And that is what the shepherd king came to bring. We come now to the people. We come to the people, the fifth out of six. So here's the people mentioned in a few places. Verse, verse 3, it says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So God gives up the people. And then the rest of his brothers will return to the people of Israel. And he'll stand and he'll shepherd his flock, that's people, in the strength of the Lord. And they, those people that he shepherds, will dwell secure uh, for now. And he'll be great to the ends of the earth. So there's a lot of people there, isn't there? There's, there's people that were dispersed and taken away from from Israel, and they come back. 
one view is that it's all the people that that Christ would shepherd. So that would be Jews and Gentiles eventually. Uh, it is considered also that it's just the Israelites' return. Jeremiah 3 verse 18 talks about the house of Judah and the house of Israel joining and coming back. Some have suggested that it's the uh, Pentecostal expansion of the kingdom, that all these nations came back and there they are brought together and the gospel goes out 3,000 people are saved, and all these people go back to uh, spread the gospel. Uh, the one thing that we know is that, that the ministry of the shepherd king is, is beneficial to everybody. It brings them back. They dwell securely. He's our peace, and it goes to all the nations. He will have a ministry that draws all nations together and, and brings them peace. And the, the, the final heading is just some observations and, and applications that, that, that we can look at. Uh, the first thing is to study God's amazing work. R really, in, in 45 minutes, you're only scratching the surface of the power of this, uh, of the power of this passage in the ministry of Christ. You're, you're just touching on things. But you remember, it started in a small town. A nothing town and in history there was things that happened in that town that pointed 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 and then a great with child woman ends up at the same town at the perfect time because somebody's thought I want everybody in my country to register yeah. well that's inconvenient my wife is over eight and a half months pregnant and I got to go all this distance, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying that Joseph complained. But that's what he had to do. What kind of concern did he have the whole way? You think about that. What would a husband do with a wife, eight and a half, nine months pregnant? She's right there. You're watching her every step. Are you okay? Are you okay? And they get there, and they can't even find a place, but they end up in the right place. And you see what happens. You see what happens? He's born. Angels come out of nowhere and they say, I got good news for you. The great joy. That's a real, that's another great, yeah. great joy unto you this day in the city of David. Right there. He's born a savior who's Christ the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's God. He's everything. A little town. An unknown woman. Who, who was Mary? They're just chosen by God, an unknown woman, and she says, I'm just a maidservant. I'm, I'm nothing. How, how is this happening to me? The shepherd king is announced, and the blessings go to the end of the earth. And just like Trapp said, this is comfortable to consider of. So study God's amazing work. Study all those interactions, all the ways that the prophecy works it out exactly as God planned. And then secondly, worship the shepherd king, Jesus. I mentioned it before. We, we know people that get birthday cakes and, and sing happy birthday to Jesus. And I, I think it's just a, a trivial abomination to, to what he truly is. Look at the power that's invested in him. I know he was a little baby in a manger. I know that people love babies. 
but look at what he was. A shepherd king promised he meets all the criteria. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's our shepherd king. He's the peacemaker. He's the people gatherer. He's our peace. And that goes out to the ends of the world. Worship the shepherd king Jesus. And then finally, we, we can see that unbelief is a heavy cloud. John chapter 7, verse 40 to 52. It's at the great feast. It started with his brothers saying, God, why don't you go up to the feast? Make yourself known to everybody. If you're so big, make yourself known. It says even his brothers didn't believe in him. Well, then Jesus does go up to the feast and he preaches. And he says, if anybody comes to me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. We, we become like him. How does that happen? How do sinners become life dispensing people like the Lord Jesus Christ? And the things that come from me bless you just like they bless. And the, the people are besides themselves. Somebody says, this really is the prophet. And somebody else says, this is the Christ. But then there's detractors. Is the Christ supposed to come from Galilee? No. Right? Other times they said, well, we know his parents. It can't be. He can't be the Messiah. We know his parents. But they're, they're right in verse 42, John 7, 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And that's exactly yes, 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 that's it. But they still can't figure it out. And Nicodemus stands up in the council, you remember, and he says, there's something to this guy. I know that's a paraphrase. <laughs> he says, there's something to this guy. And what do they say? They deride him. Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Well, that's right. But did you ever think, why didn't they ask Jesus, where were you born? That, that's crazy, isn't it? You would think, well, that's the key. That's the whole key to your unbelief. You're, you're clouded in this unbelief. Who is he? Why don't you just ask him, what town were you born in? They never do. His mother was there. We know his mother. We know his father. They chided him. He's the son of a carpenter. Why didn't they say, Mary, where, where was your son born? They didn't. And brethren, we need to be careful of the clouds that unbelief puts on our minds. Because there might be one question that we don't ask that damns our souls. That's what happened to those people. Search and see. No prophet comes out of Galilee. They told Herod they knew exactly where he came from. And he came exactly from there. And they said, we don't believe it. If you're the Christ, show us. Tell us plainly. And he did tell them plainly. And how many times did they pick up stones? Oh, well, what works are you doing? Well, not for the works, but you make yourself equal with God. Well, brethren, let's write these things on our heart. Let's pray them in. Let's think about our shepherd king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious thing it is to contemplate our Savior Jesus Christ, the shepherd king. We're thankful that he fulfills all the prophecies. He fulfills all the work. Uh, that you've chosen him to do. Uh, we're thankful that we can say he is our shepherd 
we're thankful that we are in his hands and under his control. We pray that there would be no clouds of unbelief that would mar our fellowship with him or take us uh, into distracting paths. In Christ's name we pray, 